What's up? Live from LA again. I'll be headed back to Connecticut. We'll do a uh, draft recap podcast to see who's around. We want to do probably do that on Friday because I'll be in Connecticut because I'm flying back for the draft show that we're doing on Twitter where we're going to go about an hour lead up, Jacoby and myself, and then through the entire first round. So that meant I wasn't quite sure if I was going to do the draft this year. It had been the first time, I think, since 2002 I hadn't done anything with the draft. And since I found out not that long ago, I've been cramming nonstop. The other good news, life update stuff. I did close in my house finally, and that only took... um forever and everybody knows that but i got the keys and we've been doing that so the worst possible week i could get my house and have to move in to do all the grown-up stuff happened and it happened draft week but that's all right i'm still ready to go i want to talk with jay billis um who's scheduled but could be you know look he's super super busy right around now so if he jumps on we'll throw him on bobby marks is uh, also scheduled to join us and talk a little free agency i think that's where i want to start and i'll probably go for like 15 minutes here and maybe we'll pick up Bobby or Bill will call in. We're just going to live produce this one. Saruti's back in Connecticut. How are you, Steve? What's up? House is done. Just finally finally getting into that uh, West Coast life. Yeah, no hot water. There's still some problems. Right. Punch list is still there. But once they're like, hey, we'll take your money. Do you want your keys? And you start moving stuff in. We did that. I could do all that stuff a little bit later. We got no hot water, though. Taking cold showers. Cold showers will make you a man. That'll That'll remind you what life's all about. It reminds me of just like a bush light commercial, just freezing. And then I have a motion detector, which I didn't even realize in my guest bathroom because I can't sleep in the master because it's all open towards the street and I would just be nude walking around. We know that didn't go well last time. So um, let me start with free agency because living out here in L.A. now, we know that the Kawhi thing, like basically right now, L.A. Talk Radio, 710, shout out, that's where I'm at right now. And I actually now doing this every day. I really like their lineup. I like all of their shows, but they're depending. They're kind of like they're spending time trying to figure out the last shot. Who's going to take a Kawhi Paul or LeBron? And do we have to give up Josh Hart in the deal? Like that's what they're doing. They're doing the greedy local thing because they only care about the Lakers and they only should care about the Lakers. And they already have it all just packed up and ready to go. Here is what I will tell you. Based on my information, which always seems to be a little different than the mainstream information on LeBron stuff and the Kawhi and how that's all moving around. But let me start with Friday. Friday, we got the massive dump. Kawhi's uncle, who is a big piece of this charge for Kawhi's unhappiness. Kawhi clearly has to also be unhappy himself with San Antonio. We know all that back history. But then Friday, the uncle texts all sorts like, look, I don't think it's confirmed, but it's pretty easy to figure out. All sorts of dudes, NBA circles, get this news. Kawhi wants out, doesn't want the extension. Trade me now, trade me now, trade me now. Okay, fine, no problem. Later that night, Woj, who continues to bang this drum, which no one seems to want to pay attention to, and they definitely want to pay attention to it out here in L.A., is that since the Kawhi-Popovich meeting has not actually happened, that they still feel like there's a chance to salvage this thing. And as you said all along, when I first told you that Kawhi, people around the league were saying it's over, he's done, he wants out, he's gone. Remember we did that podcast a couple months ago? Well, other people had said, well, yeah, he's gone because the Spurs don't want to offer him the Supermax. So if the Spurs can still play that card to get the max and not want him to take the Spurs discount that so many other great players have taken traditionally at San Antonio, then maybe this thing can be salvaged. But nobody wants to believe that. And the thing that I think is the biggest error with the whole Kawhi deal is like, okay, you let's call it Team Kawhi, which is separate from Kawhi Leonard. 
Say Team Kawhi wants the hysteria. They want to cause this storm on Friday, this media storm. And then all these other teams are trying to figure out. I, my favorite line, if I could ever do the John Oliver sports version show, I would just pick out different headlines of different markets saying the dumbest stuff possible about what they could possibly trade for Kawhi. And one line out of a New York paper said, well, we do know that Popovich loves Nilakina. And you go, well, that's sweet. Put that on a hoodie, okay? That doesn't mean anything. So the thing about Kawhi, their error in this whole deal is if Kawhi actually wants to be in L.A., meaning the Lakers, then he should be saying that. Like, I want out, and I'm only going to the Lakers. That's what Melo did. Melo got to the Knicks. He was traded to the Nets. The Nets are going to give up the pick that was favor, some other pieces. It was a decent haul. Utah was like, all right, fine. Like, we don't want to deal with this stuff. Excuse me, wait a minute. Um, The favors trade... Yes, that was the original thing that the favors pick ended up being the trade for Darren Williams. But there was a package that the Nets put together for Mello in Denver, and then Mello's like, fine, you can do it, but I'm not, I'm not signing there. And then eventually the Knicks did it, and Dolan gave in, and everybody kills the Knicks for that trade because of the pieces, but it was more so because a lot of people felt like Mello was just going to sign a free agency. You would have had a shot at him then, but then that becomes the whole thing of, do I control the outcome now, have the chip that I'm going to be able to pay him more, make him the bird rights player, do I just go ahead and do it? Like a lot of franchises would, some wouldn't. You know, that's, that's the game that you have to figure out. But if you're Kawhi, what you don't want to do is open this up to a bunch of teams. You don't want to be telling a bunch of teams that you would sign there because then, one, you could end up being dumped somewhere that you don't want to be, and two, the pieces that the team has to give up for you will be greater, so it's a bigger price paid for you, so therefore the team that you're going to now isn't going to have the same talent around it. So here's what you do is you say, I am out and I am only re-signing with the Lakers, and you let everybody around the NBA know this. Now, could there still be a team that's willing to take a one-year run at it? People have always thought Boston was a team like that in the past. Clearly, Oklahoma City just did it with Paul George. We'll see how that plays out, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But the Kawhi part of this is that, okay, fine, the better package is, say Sacramento were dumb enough to do this, okay, because he's not signing in Sacramento long-term. And then you have a guy who just gave up on a season, by the way. Now you're going to send him to Sacramento, and he's going to be super pumped for you there. And maybe he's motivated then to get the Supermax and reclassify for all that stuff and ball out. But he's probably, you know what I mean? Like, the Supermax is different. I know I'm throwing around a lot of different numbers here. But the point is is that, like, a, a dumb team, I guess, would feel like, hey, let's just go get a star play. Like, even the Phoenix Sun stuff doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Because unless you know you are resigning him, you can't do that deal. Now, if you're Ryan McDonough and you go, you know what, things have been great here. I could be on the line for my own job. All right, yeah, fine. I'm just doing this all theoretically because we've all read the same stuff. They do the number one pick for Kawhi, and he goes, oh, cool. Hey, I acquired Kawhi Leonard. Devin Booker ended up being a terrific player. Now I have all these different pieces, and I still don't even think that team would be that good because the rest of the roster stinks. But I could, I could at least get to that. You know, through that maze, whatever analogy you want to use, the roadmap to Ryan McDonough going, okay, I can rationalize this Kawhi Leonard, and hey, it's Phoenix and our trainers and Scottsdale, and then there's Old Town, and if he ever wants to go to a game in Tempe, like these are all the dumb things you kind of talk yourself into. But any really like solid front office that's established that doesn't have to take stupid risks would go, I'm not giving you a lot of assets for a guy that's gone in a year. So I don't understand why New York's in the mix. The Lakers, I do get it because you would think you'd want to come here. The Clippers, dude, 12 and 13 and Tobias Harris hang up the phone. Next. The 12 and 13 pick, that stuff is so overrated. The Clippers are offering 12 and 13 to move up into the top eight. Teams are saying no. No, thank you. Okay. So 
What does that mean for LeBron? So now that I've gone through all the Kawhi stuff, and we'll see what happens, and I still think it's very important to pay attention to Woj saying, until Woj says it's over and he's given up, then I'm not ready to give up on it. So that's a small slimmer of hope there. But, uh, you know, look, I do think he wants out, and he wants L.A. If Kawhi ends up in L.A., does that guarantee LeBron is in L.A.? No, it does not. I know no one wants to believe that, but that is the truth. And as I tweeted out yesterday, there is still hope in Cleveland that they can add pieces, and I know this sounds obvious, but what I'm telling you is LeBron is part of the recruitment. It's not just Kobe Altman. LeBron is trying to figure out who out there may want to come play with him in Cleveland. Now, if nobody wants to go play with him in Cleveland and they can't flip any of this stuff and don't come at me, oh, the eighth pick stinks and Kevin Love stinks and all the contracts stink, well, okay, eighth is not as good as you'd like to be. Kevin Love's value isn't terrific because he can opt out and the rest of the contracts aren't great. But we know this game. We know that if somebody wants to call the shots, and this is kind of the whole point of my Kawhi thing, if somebody wants to call the shots and say, I'm only going there and I'm only going to go to Cleveland and I'm only going to resign a contract there or some deal, then I just, you know, if, I just don't think it's smart to ever say like, oh, this contract's untradeable. Nah, eh, they get traded. I don't think it's smart to ever say, oh, that, that team could never pull off this move. Cause it's, this, this league always fascinates me so many different times when you think the immovable or the just unthinkable transaction ends up happening. It happens more often than we think. Like we shut off our minds and we go, no way. That's a no, no way. Nobody wanted. And you're like, oh, that guy got traded, huh? Huh. How'd that work? So yes, on paper, does it seem super easy to flip eight and love for something that's really valuable and going to keep LeBron there? Mm, that's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. I can't, I can't sell you on that right now. But what I can tell you is that Kawhi, if he is in LA, and I know some people are saying the Spurs are never going to send him to LA, never going to send him, they want to send him east. All right, maybe. And you know, look, the Cavs shouldn't have sent Kyrie to the Celtics. Um, and they definitely shouldn't have done it. As soon as Isaiah Thomas is involved, like, I, I, you know, I just go, eh. but if the Spurs like Brandon Ingram better than every other possible trade partner, then you probably just go ahead and take the guy, right? You know, like I would still worry about, you know, I'm not going to worry about geography as much as I'm going to worry about the talent on my roster. All right, fine. So Kawhi's on the Lakers now and they're good. Okay, cool. You know, if he was, if he was on something like if we can't keep him anyway. So the LeBron Kawhi thing, do not lock that up if Kawhi ends up coming here. Um, I think from a personality standpoint, if Paul George were in LA before Kawhi, and I'm not saying all three can't happen because all three can. But that's where Kawhi should be fighting, you know, to say, I only want to go there because then the Lakers would still have some of these little pieces here um, to do some other things with. And so if Kawhi doesn't end up in the Lakers, okay, say George wants to leave, and that's no certainty, despite Slam Magazine reporting that I reported Paul George was leaving. Um I think I think LeBron would prefer to play with Paul George just as a personality fit thing. He'd, I think he'd rather have him up in Cleveland, but I don't know if Paul George is going to do that two off seasons in a row. By the way, and then if that did happen, I don't know which young guys would be here, but I can pretty much tell you that Lonzo would be gone, and that's a combo of him being redundant with LeBron James and. There's no way LeBron James is going to be playing for the Lakers, miss the game-winning shot, and have LeVar go on first take saying he should have passed it to my boy. And it was funny because I started, you know, being out here in L.A., I go, hey, what's, what's it like with Alonzo thing? Because, you know, as I've said all along, like he probably takes too much heat. 
Well, he definitely does. It isn't even debatable. He takes too much heat because of all the focus on him. Um, he's he came around a little bit. The, the injury thing is is super annoying, no doubt. But it's funny that I was always the guy a year ago. Be like, ah, hey, who cares about his dad? Like, the fifteen minutes will be up. Like, you're Magic Johnson. You're the L.A. Lakers. Like, you'll. It doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters. Everything will be fine. And now that it's happened and it's gone on for a year, like we're a year removed from that, where I'm always the like, hey, who cares? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to not draft somebody because of that stuff. If I love the player, I love the player. And you ask around and a lot of guys, you know what? It's kind of sucked. It definitely sucks. It's annoying. It's not good for the team. It's bad for the kid. Like, I haven't heard this, but like, do you think Luke Walton loves this stuff? You think the front office likes this? And it's like getting ramped up again. Like, I can't believe, and it's funny because like people that agreed with everything that I was saying a year ago of, ah, who cares? Just, you know, distractions. Like what's, what's, the, you know, you're the LA Lakers. And now that it's gone on for a year, it's kind of the, the general feel around the city of people that know what's up. They're like, actually, it really sucks and it's annoying. So what else do I have? Um, maybe it would be Kemba. Maybe Lonzo would be sent out. So if Paul George LeBron were here and Kawhi gets sent somewhere else, maybe Kemba. A lot of people are asking about Kemba because Kemba's a year out from what he's going to want as a much bigger contract. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's that's kind of the deal. You got any follow-ups there, Saruti? Sorry, currently texting with Jay. Oh, okay. So what does Jay want to do? I'm trying to figure out when we could do this. Can He's, we do it he now? Said, he said, call me now. All, all right, right let's. Can we push Bobby back? I'll text Bobby. Are we, we're going to keep this all on the podcast? Yeah. Let's, you know, let's just do it. We're doing it on the fly. Yeah. I love it. All right. Live let's do Jay really. right now. Hold on one sec. Stall. Um, I didn't do my motorcycle rant because I feel like I have a lot of guys that, that ride motorcycles. I had a good friend of mine who was doing a cross country deal right out of high school. So I was in college. Yeah. So he was a couple years older than me. So he might have been 22, 23. I was 20. I remember because he ended up hanging out with a girl in my dorm and then he like came back because he liked her and we were all like, your buddy's already back here. And the reason he actually ended up coming back was because he was driving cross country motorcycle, seeing another dude and he was coming through a tunnel kind of underpass. So if you know, and you're in a car and it gets, you know, dark and then the light kind of hits you again, it's way worse on a motorcycle. Like it can be really tough. And somebody had had an actual, um, you know, changing their tire, part of the kit had fallen out of their truck and he didn't see it because the light changed and he hit the kit and he ended up crashing and breaking his ankle. So that's why um, I have sympathy towards motorcycle guys, but I have to finish the rest of this podcast part later now that I'm living out in Los Angeles because Jay Billis, part of our draft coverage on Thursday night, uh, he'll be out there for all 60 picks, a guy I respect as much as anybody when it comes to draft stuff how are you man i'm doing great ryan what's going on nothing i just wanted to uh before i flew back talk to you and i, I know you're busy so i uh, let's get right into it all right ayton i feel like 10 years ago if deandre ayton were coming out we'd be talking about how the fr uh, the franchise of the phoenix suns has been saved um how much do you think the way the game is played and his skills specifically like how different do you think the conversation is now 10 years later than the way we would have talked about a player like this yeah, I don't think it's all that much different. I just think that the the Golden State Warriors have taken all the air out of the room. 
because of the sort of the small ball thing. Um, as you know better than anybody, not every team is playing small ball, and you still need big guys. I and mean, I don't think Golden State would turn down a, a rim protector and a, a solid big guy like DeAndre Ayton. They just have uh, have done so well with the with the draft picks they have, and getting a guy like Kevin Durant. They can't afford to have that, and they're not going to get it in the draft given where they're picking. Uh, but Aiton is uh, is one of the best prospects I can remember uh, in the 16 years I've been doing this for ESPN, and uh, he is uh, one of these uh, above the rim big guys that has got a an NBA body right now, and uh, uh, he shoots it well. Um, he is one of these second and third jump guys that tips the ball to himself when he can't grab it, and, and he grabs most everything. Uh, he runs well. Um, I think the only question mark I've ever heard with Aiton is is sort of the idea of, of what's his work ethic like. Does he does he really love it? And uh, uh, he looks he looks like he he's working at it to me because he was really productive last year at 24 double doubles and averaged over 20 and close to 12 rebounds and. The only thing he didn't do was was block shots at a really high level. He blocked almost two a game, and you expected a little bit more. But I think he'll be able to to pick that up a little bit uh, as he gets bigger, as he gets older and more mature. Um, I, you know, one of the things on the block shot deal is I noticed that what Sean did with him was actually I think more impressive than the shot blocking numbers. Is that he had he had Aiton chasing like every ball handler around the screen. And show so he was showing so far away from the hoop so many times that I think that's where not that you don't already know this but I think it's something that's really important. So if somebody's just like you get Aiton or you like Bamba and you look at Bamba's shot ratio and the blocks and some of the stuff with Jaron Jackson that's incredible, a lot of that has to do with what you're being asked. And I think Miller was so comfortable asking Aiton to do all of these things. Like every mistake that I would see in an Aiton possession, it usually was somebody else's fault. I was unbelievably impressed for a kid this young to understand like all the different things he was asking to be doing defensively in the scheme of things. Yeah, that's a fair point. He does a good job of rotating over on the weak side. He's a a very sort of well-drilled defensive player. Um, it, it, he doesn't always show the most want to out there, but but I don't yeah. think you always expect that with an 18 year old kid or 19 year old kid. Uh, you know, people tend to forget. I mean, I think these guys are more advanced than players were 25, 30 years ago as freshmen. Uh, but it doesn't mean they have it all figured out when they're 18 or 19. He's going to continue to get better. But but that's a fair point. I, I do think that you know he, he you, you expected him to be a higher volume shot blocker, just period. And yeah. uh, even even in spite of the point you just made, but uh, you know because Bamba is a Mo Bamba is a, a far superior shot blocker as is uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. But Jaron Jackson Jr. also committed a lot of fouls. Uh, you know, in the in the if you uh, if you take it out per forty minutes, I think he fouled six or seven seven times per forty minutes. So uh, he's going to have to improve in that too. I um. I was talking with GM the other day because we were going through the whole thing and like Bamba has these moments where I think physically it's, it, it gets guys like a different level of excited. Okay. Where they go, my gosh, if he ever really puts this thing together, but something that you had brought up with eight and I've heard the same thing with Bamba. And then one GM goes, you know, no big guys ever love it. Is that fair? I mean, granted, it's, I'm sure there's one big guy that you've played with or coach that loves this game, but is that something that you feel is is almost a safe stereotype that big guys don't love it as much as the other players? Yeah, that's that's probably true overall, but 
But the things that big guys have to practice to prove that they love it are a lot more difficult to practice. Like it's like saying that uh, you know, and Tom Brady and his offensive line does his offensive line really love it? You know, it's not really fun to play the offensive line. It's not always fun to be a big guy because of the things you have to do. Um, it's not it's not quite the same thing. But the, the other thing that happens too, Ryan, as you know, is you know, like with Mo Bamba, he he may be, uh, if not the smartest, one of the smartest players in the draft. And when you have, when you're that smart and you have outside interests, people question whether you love to play, and uh, and how much time you're going to put into it. As if as if you know you have to be an idiot to be really good in basketball, which is totally untrue. But because Bamba is so long armed and so um, uh, so athletic, and he can affect the game defensively so well. Uh, and protect the rim and run and do all those things and rebound. Uh, you know, his I think his offense is going to come along. He, he shoots he shoots pretty well actually. He's been working with Drew Hamlin and he's retooled his shot. And Shaka Smart last year had him in just about every pick and roll situation had him popping and shooting uh, perimeter shots just to you know so he could uh, uh, you know get better at that. Not just for Texas but but for for into his future. So he he's just kind of scratching the surface of, of how good he's going to be as well. Do you look at, and I think the mock drafts can condition us for just a little bit, where like, I'll do this exercise and I'm watching guys. Be like, okay, I like Aiton. I like him. I totally understand taking him one. And then you go, okay, well, what's the separation? Like, so I've seen Bomba at four or five, so that means it's impossible to think that he could have, you're like, well, why don't you take Bomba one? And then everybody would go, oh my God, like, you can't do that. You can't, what a reach. What an incredible reach. When you watch the two guys, like, what separates them and, and how do you, project kind of what their floors and ceilings could be i think the thing that separates bomba and ayton is one ayton is really superior in the strength department like if those two got in a in a wrestling match for the low block there's no question who'd win that it'd be ayton uh you know he's broad shouldered and ayton looks like he's uh you know he could play linebacker right now and Bamba's more of a you know straight up and down player, a stick figure that needs to learn how to play lower. He doesn't have the same kind of low base that that uh, Aiden has. So as a in in sort of the physical game, Aiden's going to win that. Uh, and he's a he's a better shooter. Uh, you know, Aiden makes close to eighty percent of his free throws, if I remember right. Um, and he he shoots a very good ball. He doesn't have amazing range or anything, but but he, he shoots with fluidity. Uh, and that's only going to get better. He, he's going to get much better at that. Got a good turnaround jumper. Um, you know, so he's a better offensive player than Bamba. Uh, Bamba's still raw, um, but you, you know, I think your point is a really good one. Like, if you think he's going to be a transcendent defensive player and rebounder, you know, you certainly would have taken a guy like DeAndre Jordan a heck of a lot higher in the second round when he came out of Texas A&M. Uh, looking back now. Um, so, you know, I think that's a fair point. It's just, I think, I think Aiden's a superior player overall and is going to be a better player in the long term. Um, but, but, you know, if you think he's better than Jaron Jackson or, or if you think that, uh, you know, Marvin Bagley the third, who's a, sort of an offensive genius kind of, but, but defensively, he doesn't really do much. He doesn't affect the game on defense. And that, that's always been a puzzler to me is that a guy that could be that fluid on offense and that affecting of the game doesn't affect at all on defense um, and, and it doesn't play instinctively on defense at all. And you wonder, is that focus? Is that want to, where does that come from? But, you know, you could, you could, you could jumble up the top five uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, but I still think, I still think Aiden would be, would be the one pick. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. And then that brings us to Doncic because it's it's such a it's almost like people are down on bigs and this is a big draft at the top, and then you go, Okay, well what are we supposed to do with the guy that's actually been productive at an even greater level than what we see in the tournament? And when I watch Doncic, one of the things that I've noticed I would say in the last couple of years, and Porzingis is one of the first guys that this jumped out at me, is that you know, the Eurosoft label happened probably because it was accurate. You know, I mean, people can, people cannot like it, but for a long time, it wasn't necessarily inaccurate with a bunch of the prospects that came over. Not obviously not all of them. And then I started to see more in guys. And I would say, you know, Przingis, um, it's Zizic, Zubak. I know I'm naming kind of band of the bench guys, but I see it with Doncic and I'm seeing it more and more with these younger internationals, this generation that these guys are more competitive. They're feistier. They're, they'll fight. They'll elbow you a little bit more. And of all the things I like about Doncic, and I know the shooting will get better, the size, the read of the pick and roll, I like that that part of his competitiveness, I don't think it's a question mark with him. And and that, especially when you're coming over to the States to prove yourself, that might be the most important thing to have at this age. And I'm wondering if, as you look at him, if you've noticed that with international players in general, and kind of just go off on the rails on whatever you want to do on Doncic, the player. Yeah, I think the only thing that he's even a, a concern about Doncic is his level of athleticism. That he's not an elite level athlete, um, but he's a he's an elite level player. Like he knows how to play, and he he's probably Ryan, as you know, the most accomplished European teenager ever. That you know he's been MVP of the Euroleague Final Four. He's been twice the Rising Star Award winner. Uh, you know, his team won the EuroLeague. I mean, he, he's the real thing, uh, and, and he can compete favorably in the NBA right now. Uh, Mike Schmitz, who's a colleague of ours, had, had the best way of putting it to me. He said he's got the highest floor in the draft, which means he's not going to fail. Like, one thing you know for sure is Luka Doncic will not suck in the NBA. He's going to be good. Uh, the question is, how good is he going to be? You know, is he going to be the, the best player that comes out of this draft? He certainly could be. Uh, because pick and roll wise, he's on a different level. Like he can see things, he, he can pass it. Um, uh, you know, he's a good scorer. He's not afraid of anything. A uh, little bit of a streaky shooter, but his vision's off the charts. And uh, uh, look, he, and he's proven it. Like he's not some workout wonder, uh, or or you know, we don't have a lot of tape on him, or you haven't seen him play five on five as much. You know, he's not like Nicholas Skidishvili or Darko Milicic or something like that. Um, he's he's going to be good. He's going to be really really good. It's just a question of, of of how good, and that that's the hard part. Is like, you know, like like Mike Schmidt said, okay, highest floor, like he, he you know, but but how high is the ceiling? Because that that's those are the difference makers are the guys that have the highest ceilings, and uh, and wind up uh, you know wind up becoming one of the the true superstars in the league, of which there are not many. Who in the lottery is kind of the toughest evaluation for you? The one that maybe you keep going back to and just go, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, like if I were a GM and I were sitting here, could I pull the trigger on this guy? There are a few of them. Um, one is Michael Porter Jr., who, if if he were healthy, would be a top two, top three pick uh, because he's six ten and can really shoot it. I mean, he's an elite level shooter, uh, but you don't know about the back. And, uh, and, and, you know, his medical and he hasn't worked out, uh, for teams. And so it's just kind of sort of a question mark. And like, it's funny, I, I don't even know how to process it because I've got him ranked seventh and talent wise, he's second or third. But, um, you know, I, I, but if he, if his health is bad, then he shouldn't even be in the top 25. Um, so I, I, it's almost like I'm going, you know, like closing my eyes and putting my finger somewhere and saying, okay, well, here. 
uh, th- this seems to make sense, and I don't know that it does make sense. Um, the other one would be um, uh, Trey, you know, Trey Young of Oklahoma because you know he's he's so good offensively and then so uh, maddening on defense because he doesn't guard anybody, and and I don't know whether he can because he's slight of build, he, you know, and, and he I don't know whether he's going to be uh, good enough defensively, and I don't know where you hide him at his size. But offensively, he, he can shoot from anywhere, and and, uh, and he's a great passer, and he's really good in, in screen roll situations. I think he's going to be good. Like, I like him a lot. But uh, but defensively, you know, not the best you've ever seen. And, and one of my favorite players in the draft is, and I don't really know where to slot him. I've got him slotted 16th is, uh, is Aaron Holiday out of UCLA. Um, he's, he's unafraid and he can, he's, he's really a good scorer and a playmaker. And, you know, his brothers, you know, Drew and Justin are NBA players. So he's, he's got the pedigree. Uh, and he's, he's a, uh, just sort of a fearless player that I think is going to do really well when he gets into the league. Uh, and, and maybe the best, uh, the best ball handler in, in the draft, uh, not a pure point guard, but but uh, but proved after Lonzo Ball left that he could he could certainly do that. That's that's uh, that's in his you know sort of in his game, and I really like him a lot. He's just small. Yeah, you could argue that Holiday's almost too unafraid at times. Um, but that was that was cool. I wasn't I wasn't surprising or excuse me, I wasn't expecting. I thought maybe you were going to go with um, Azire Smith because you know everybody that sees him and, and breaks him down but you know it's six four but I do think he's the best athlete here the Trey Young thing is perfect I mean I, I think those first two answers are perfect because Trey is all over the place and I think there's a chance he goes three to Atlanta I think there's a chance Atlanta tries to trade out of the pick I think you know he's in play maybe to nine in New York I think he wants to go there it is funny that because he has this name recognition that there's conversations that I'll have with teams that go, you know, other teams, somebody's looking for a little bit of a spark. But when you talked about his defense, and I think you'll agree with it, I always think it's funny when somebody who just, look, he's just bad on defense. He's he's young, he's small. Maybe he figures out a way to play a team concept where he doesn't get killed. Um, I don't know, in the playoffs, I really don't like small guards because I think everybody just goes right at those guys. I mean, Steph is... Somebody who everybody targets, and I think he's a better defender than people give him credit for, and he's big. Like he's, he, I'm not saying he's a big guy, but he, I think he's a little bigger than people think. But when Trey or, or guys that are bad on defense will say, well, I'm going to prove everybody wrong, and I'll think, well, what, what did you just do for the last year? You just, you, you took it off? Like you took the year off? Like, why are you now going to wait to get to the NBA to prove that all of us that have questioned your defense, that you're going to tell us that we saw something we didn't see? I always think that's kind of funny, but obviously very predictable too. Yeah, and he he really couldn't afford to get in foul trouble last year. Like he didn't have the kind of team where he could afford to be off the floor. And you know, I don't want to sound totally disrespectful to his teammates, but because there are some good players, but but all, each one of them could have really only do one thing. Yeah, and uh, and Trey Young had to carry the entire load. He he actually had to carry. He's always compared to Steph Curry. He actually had to carry a bigger load. Uh, with the team he played on, that Steph Curry had to, to carry at Davidson. Uh, Curry actually had better teammates at Davidson than uh, than Young had at Oklahoma. No, that's a good point. You're right, and and I think obviously Kruger let Trey do what he needed to do offensively to keep him in games, and it worked in the beginning of the year, and then it didn't. Um, if you were if you were sitting at the number, I don't know, I don't know how I want to do this. I want to make you the GM of a team. Forget team as far as city or roster or anything like that so there's not a specific need 
Um, you know these kids well, Bagley and Wendell Carter. Everybody has Bagley ahead of Wendell. I wonder if there's really that much of a gap because every time I watch Carter, I love him. Yeah, me too. I, you know, there's not that much of a gap because I've got Bagley at two and and uh, Wendell Carter at, at six. So it's not a, that's by definition not not much of a gap. Um, they in mock draft together, world so, though, right? In mock draft world, that? it feels like mock draft world. It feels like two different time zones when somebody's three or six. But you're right. You're right. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's really not much, and and you're you know you're talking about guys that have specific skills that may translate a little bit better. You like a little bit better, but you know the one thing that that uh, uh, Marvin Bagley has over Carter is that he's just a he's a big time offensive player, and and you know just a great rebounder. I mean that guy he, his motor never stops. Uh, Bagley plays incredibly hard and really never takes a play off, and that's a that's a skill you don't see that very often. Uh, you know he's smooth, so it doesn't look like he's he's you know he's really pushing that hard, but he is. And uh, and I can't remember a guy that had a second and third jump as as explosive and fluid as his. Uh, sometimes his second jump is more seems like it's more powerful and explosive than his first. Uh, great offensive rebounder. Um, he can step away and and knock down a perimeter shot, although it's not uh, his strength. He doesn't shoot free throws well. I think he shot only 62, 63%. That's one thing that Carter does much better. He's almost a, I think, if I remember right, I think Carter was 78% from the free throw line, something like that. Uh, and I think he's a, I think actually Carter's a better, a uh, little bit of a better low post player. Um, he's certainly physically stronger, but he's not as explosive. Uh, he block shots better. He's a better defender. Uh, Carter, a little bit, um, I'm not sure about him guarding screen role when he's got to step out and, and he's got to move laterally. It's not, it's not his strength, but, uh, but it's, it's, you know, Bagley is not any good at that at all. I mean, Bagley showed very little feel on defense last year, which is surprising to me because he's got such a good feel on offense instinctively, but it seemed like if you gave him a choice to make on the defensive end, he made the wrong one just about every time. And uh, he's not the only reason that Duke played zone last year, but he was one of them. And one of the main reasons um, there there were other culprits there too, but but he was one of the main reasons. But uh, Carter um, Carter grabs every rebound with two hands, every single one, and uh, and I so I think he's going to be a workhorse in the NBA. But he's more of an old school power forward that can step away, uh, and and I think he's going to have to continue to work on his perimeter shot. But 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 it's 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 solid right now, and I, I think he's going to keep getting better. Yeah, he was one of those guys I just didn't want to turn it off. I liked him. And you're right. He was at 74%. Um, so I, I had it where I was running through all my notes here and I, um, you know, he's not, he's not going to freak you out athletically, but he was, I thought he was better kind of one on one defensively in certain moments. And I'm talking around the hoop, not going out and chasing anybody or anything like that, but like his anticipation, his timing with your timing and matching you and, and not falling for as much stuff. Um, I just like smart players. I, I like guys that are really smart and I hope it, I hope it works out for them. Uh, I want to do a couple more guys. We'll let you bounce. I know we didn't tell you how long you're going to do this. So I didn't want you to think at some point, like, holy, is Rasillo going to ask me to go through the entire 30 picks? I'm not going to do that to you. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. is someone that depending on the game, like you could go, why is he not going number one? And then you could watch another game and go, I can't believe this guy's in the lottery. Uh, he's good and he's really young. Uh, his shot goes in. And it, I had to go back and look at some of the high school stuff. It went in then too. I'm a little surprised it goes in as often as it does, but 
you know, he's, he's another guy that makes this draft, which feels like, as you had said before, a really high ceiling, but kind of like a lower floor. Like I, I get worried about a lot of these guys going, I could make an argument for or against them. Your thoughts on Jackson. Well, Jackson, you mentioned it. He's like really young. He may be the youngest player in the draft. I haven't done all the, you know, I've made all no, the No, he's incredibly prior. young. He's, he's still going to yeah, be 18. He's ridiculously think, young. Yeah. He, he's barely qualified for the draft as far as his age was concerned. But um, you mentioned he's got like this standstill set shot, uh, but but he make he's another guy that makes his free throws, 80% as a free throw shooter. Uh, pretty good in the post. You know, he made almost 43s on the season. But the thing I like best about him is not not only can he block shots, he fouls a little bit too much because he, he he's all you know he, he really throws his body all over the place. But uh, but he can he can switch out and he can guard he can really guard for a couple of dribbles one through five, and uh, and in today's game that's a that's a big deal. Um, and I think he's going to continue to get better. Like he's still got a the body of a a puppy, and uh, so he's going to get more mature and. Uh, and his game's going to continue to expand. So I, I, I think he's got his best days ahead of him, and he'll play for a really long time. Uh, another kid who's really polished and smart. I mean, it, it seems like uh, seems like I, I I say what a great kid more often than I used to, and, and I certainly say it with a guy like Jackson. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, I understand. You know, some people may like him at, at number two. Others may like him at number six. But but he's not going to fall further than than that. Uh, he'll be taken in the top five or six picks, in my judgment, without question. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about that range. Kevin Knox out of Kentucky, um, he would he would be like if there was ever like say a few months ago where I talked to teams and they go, you know, you guys don't talk about Wendell Carter enough, and I go, well, I'm talking about concussions every day on my show, so yeah, we haven't gotten to Wendell Carter. Um, and then I would I would look at like this next group. Kevin Knox has become the guy in the last couple weeks where it felt like, why is he just at the end of the lottery? To now, I'd be shocked if he's outside of the top 10. We know about the size, but like, could he have a more seamless transition in today's NBA with his style of game? Yes. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll be completely frank with you. I did not like him earlier in the season. Um, he gave me the impression that he wasn't going all out. Um, you know, And he was inefficient at times when I saw him. Uh, you know, I saw him, I saw him in person against Harvard early in the season and watched him a bunch and, and was not sold that, that he was so good. Um, he's, you know, as you mentioned, he's long and athletic. He's got almost a seven, seven foot wingspan, but he's an NBA shooter. And he's another guy that's really, that's ridiculously young. He, he may be just a little bit older than Jaron Jackson Jr., but, uh, but he's an effortless shooter. And, and I think he's a, uh, I think he's actually a shooter scorer in, even though he, he, his body style is a little bit different in the Jason Tatum mode. Like, I think he's got that kind of ability. Um, when I saw him and I was courtside and saw him hang 34 on West Virginia, where, where Kentucky would have been blown out, but for him, he won that game for him. Um, he's legit. And, uh, and I was wrong about him early on in the season. He, he I think he, he, he is one of these Sam Perkins kind of uh you know give you the impression that he's not playing yeah. as hard as he really is because he's so smooth I, I hate to go back that far but perkins was the guy that i always associated with like you guys have no idea how good he is because he's just so smooth he gives this opinion of or gives this feel of being kind of sleepy uh out there but he's not like he's he's really productive and uh and i, I think knox i agree with you i think knox is going to be he's going to be very very good he's a super talent 
that is still kind of figuring it out. And uh, But, man, when he pulls up, puts the ball on the deck, uh, range, all that stuff, in the games where he plays, um, and West Virginia being at West Virginia being one of them, you're like your jaws on the floor, and you're going, "That dude's a lottery pick." And then other other games, he didn't bring it as much. But I, I'm chalking that up to youth more than anything. No, you're right because I mean now he's going. All right, so last one here um, because a lot of the draft is based on trends, okay? And the three and D thing is like the new thing. Multiple positions. We want everybody to be kind of like a better shooting Andre Iguodala, right? And I feel like every time I'm talking to teams and I'll go through kind of the late teens to twenties, it's like seven or eight guys are supposed to be three and D prospects. And I will argue there's probably maybe not 10 really good ones in the NBA that fit all of, or at least check all the boxes that you want. So out of like a Troy Brown, the kid from Oregon, Katie Bates Diop, who, you know, had been around for a while, um, Hutchinson, who probably is going to go in the early twenties. Um, trying to think who else do I have here? Jerome Robinson, who's supposed to be, I don't know, a point guard, but I think he's a two guard. Kyrie Thomas, another one. Frazier. Are there any of these wing players, Evans even from Cincinnati, a wing out of that group that you really like more than the rest? Um, I mean, I do like Troy Brown out of Oregon and Kata Bates Diop out of Ohio State. They're both really versatile players, um, that are very skilled and, but they, uh, neither one of them are big time athletes. Like Kata Bates Diop has these, these arms that go forever. So that's going to put him a little bit ahead. Uh, in, in, in that, like the athleticism won't be as big of a, a deal for him. Um, you know, Jerome Robinson's the most complete player offensively. He's the best offensive player out of that group. I tend to agree with you. He's more of a two, but I don't know that that matters as much in today's NBA. You know, yeah. as long as you can initiate, you don't have to be a pure point guard. I'll tell you that, that one of the guys that I think is, is probably, um, undervalued in this draft is Josh McCoge from Georgia Tech. He, he's really raw uh, offensively because he was a big guy. He's kind of he kind of played the post in high school, and but I mean he's got he, he's like six five. He's got a seven foot wingspan. He's got gigantic hands, and he's like a pit bull out there. He, he's so uh, so aggressive, and uh, and I think as he gets to become a, a an older player, yeah, you know, he's going to get better and better because he's got all the tools. Uh, uh, and then I, I, the other guy I put in there was probably Chandler Hutchinson from uh, Boise State. Um, he, he was a late bloomer, and really I'm not sure that anybody thought he'd be an all-league player when he first got to Boise, let alone a, a first-round draft pick. But he's really versatile. Uh, again, another guy that he's really good athlete, not a shooter. Um, uh, so that's one thing he's going to have to improve is shooting consistency, which he can do. Um, you know, guys tend to get better as shooters when they work on it. He's not, you know, you're never going to take a bad shooter and make him into Steph Curry, but you can take a, you can take a, a, a guy that's got a good athlete and decent mechanics and turn him into a, into a good shooter with work. And, and I think, uh, I think Hutchinson will be one of those guys where he, and he's a very good rebounder, uh, as a wing. He grabs about eight rebounds a game. And I think he'll continue to do that when he gets to the NBA. Who do you have the desk with, uh, on Thursday? I know it'll be you, Reese. Uh, Chauncey Billups um, oh, nice. and uh, Adrian Wojnarowski. Well, we got a we got a good group, man. It's a uh, uh, awesome. once again. I will be the I will be the worst player at the desk. It's uh, very Woj? disconcerting. You're a worse player than Woj. Well, I think I could take Woj. That's a good point. Uh, I think I, the, the Duke St. Bonaventure rivalry uh, heats up, but uh, but yeah, def- definitely. Uh, I, I don't think I could hold a candle to Chauncey Billups though. But maybe our names could be mistaken for one another, and people think I was a higher draft pick. 
Chauncey Billis. I like that. Uh, hey, man, you know how much I appreciate this, so I, I just wanted to share that with you. So thanks so much for doing this with the podcast, and hopefully we'll uh, keep in touch, all right? Always my pleasure, buddy. Be great being with you, Ryan. All right, that's Jay Billis. As you said, you check him out Thursday on the TV. I'll be on Hoop Streams, a version of that. I think it's on the clock, presented by Century 21 with Jacoby, and we get some other people as well. So we'll be doing that uh, an hour pre and then during the whole first round. Uh, I've already said that, I know, but what's up? Okay, hey, do you guys know about this? Do you know this happened last year, 2017? The Better Business Bureau heard more than 5,000 complaints about alarm companies. That puts home security in the top 10% of most complained about industries. And you know what? Because I've done some different ones, and I should have complained more because I didn't realize so many other people were doing it. Here's how you fix security. You're going to do it by doing what my friends have over at Simply Safe. This is what they did. They said, okay, we got to fix this thing. They got rid of contracts and hidden fees. There's another one out there that said, oh, yeah, we'll come by. We'll do some stuff for free. Put a little sign out there. Next thing you know, you're getting hammered with a bill. Get this stuff out of here. Simply Safe doesn't do that to you. They work hard to earn their customers' business instead of relying on tricks and fine print. Simply Safe is a company that treats you right. How rare is that today? A company that relies on good service and a great product to earn your business. I've known Simply Safe for years. They're good people. They hooked it up at my condo in Connecticut. I'm never worried about it now. It's why they get an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau for 10 years running. And there are over 40,000 five star reviews online. 40,000 five star reviews, not complaints. That's awesome. Simply Safe is what home security should be. You're getting the best protection period. Little cameras, you hook them up yourself. It's super easy. Learn more about Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com slash hoop, H O O P. That's simplysafe.com slash hoop to protect your home and family with an A plus home security system. Simplysafe.com slash hoop. Let's talk with Bobby Marks. Bobby, I'm really pumped that you were able to join us here, uh, not only because of the draft, but I think I want to get into the free agency dive a little bit more because I've heard you kind of tell, you're a great storyteller. <laughs> um, can you give my listeners the full resume of, of your whole deal so everybody knows that again? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, uh, terrible college student. I uh, had to do uh, an internship to graduate and interned with the Nets in 95. Uh, worked for Cal Perry, Coach Cal Perry for three years as his personal assistant, which drove me crazy. But Did you like Cal? Uh, uh, I, you know what, Ryan? I don't think I could have worked for him now being married and have kids, but as a 23-year-old back then, I, I, I could put in 18-hour days for him. Um, but he was uh, he was intense. I think he's mellowed, if, we, if that's, I don't know if, if that's the right word to use, but uh, I did like him. I liked him a lot. I like him a lot. I really like him as a guy. I mean, I obviously don't know him um, really well, and, and certainly not like that, but I've always... Look, how bad can you feel for a guy? But like sometimes we lose the ability to have sympathy for people that are really successful. But I've always thought that failure with the Nets, because I can tell when I'm talking to him, there'll be certain things that he'll say, and I go, "You still haven't gotten over this." That's oh. why I still think one day he'll come back. I still think you're that. right. I mean, I when I talk to him, he the one thing he always says to me is, "Can you believe they fired me?" No, it still <laughs> and, bothers and, him. You know, like, when, that chapter when, in his when, book. Um, you know, when we when uh, he was here. You know, we had such a split in our locker room. You know, we had a young group with Kerry Kittles and Keith Van Horn, and then we had veterans with Kendall Gill and Sherman Douglas, Jason Williams, that group, and uh, Chris Gatling. And you know, the older players, uh, the Jason Williams, the Kendall Gills. You know, they didn't they didn't really I don't want to say respect, but it was a college coach coming in, and um, he never really won. 
he never really won the, the locker room. And, you know, we got off to a really bad start in 99-2000 uh, after the lockout. And he got, you know, he wound up getting fired right after we did the uh, the Stephon Marbury trade. Yeah, that was, um, like, I don't know Kendall at all, but I used to love Jason Williams when he was at St. John's, and we all know the rest of his problems. But, um, you know, those aren't easy guys either. And that's that's what always kind of pisses me off about athletes sometimes. It's like, do you want to make this harder? Then like like do why why can't we start from a position of open mindedness and athletes, uh, especially older athletes, they hate that stuff. They hate it. Like I, I can't believe some of my friends that you know I've been lucky enough to call friends over the years and I'll say, like, what do you think of your coach? And they'll just be like, Oh, you know, this guy never played or he didn't do this and I'm like, Why how like I don't know, but maybe I just look at it that way as somebody who didn't play anywhere that matters that maybe I have more of an open mind about it. But athletes are tough that way, man. So that's, that was tough. No, for you're Cal. right. I mean, and then, you know, when Cal got let go, we had Don Casey, who was like the ultimate players coach to a fault, you know, right. and, um, he, you know, he, there would be times when, you know, like he'd come to games and I loved Case, you know, he'd like forget his suit, his, like his belt and his tie. You know, like, and I'm and I'm giving him my, you know, my belt to wear during a game because he would forget it, and he the guys loved him. But we were, you know, we we, we went to the lottery for 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 two years. But uh, but yeah, then I you know I worked for Rod Thorne for ten years. Um, you know, during that during that stretch, and um, we went to you know two finals, and you know went to the playoffs for six years. Um, you know, two different teams. You know, we did the Vince Carter trade after. Um, you know, Kenyon was traded, um, and um, you know, and we had a we had a great run. I mean, you know, kid during that era. Um, you know, we thought we was going to San Antonio uh, in 2003. We wound up keeping him. Um, you know, we lose to Detroit in 2003-4 in a, in a you know in a conference semifinals, and then we got our team, and then we wound up doing the uh, the Vince trade um, a couple of years, uh, you know, a year later. And, um, and then that, you know, that kind of, I guess, put us in a little bit of purgatory for four years and, um, you know, Rod left, Billy came on and, um, and here we are. <laughs> so I could do even more on this, but I, I don't want to get distracted. from. Yeah. We could write a whole book on that. Right. I mean, we could probably write a book on the, the 2010 to 2015, um, you know, era, but um, I mean, the, the, you know, the one thing too. I mean, it's, and that's ironic because now we're heading into the summer of LeBron, and you know, we were we we were part of that, and you know, in 2010. The only NBA game I ever called play by play. I did two games color for the Celtics, but I called the Celtics at Nets game, and it was the game during the Masters where Doc Rivers got thrown out. He got that's thrown right. Out. Yeah, that is right. Is that in. was that the last game of the year? Was that? Yeah, a la- it was um, a, and it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday one o'clock tip on the after. Like it didn't make any sense. If you go back and look at it, I'm almost positive it's a Saturday. So yeah, I mean, it I mean, didn't make any sense. Was... It was like a weird one o'clock tip off, and I know because I was having beers with um, with uh, Gary Payton at the Ritz uh, on Central Park there, and um. You know, I, I had only had like a couple, I had like a couple beers because I mean, I, I was doing, I was on the team bus at 10 a.m. the next day, right? So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to stay out all night. And he had, I don't know how many drinks he had. He had a crew with him and he, he shut it down probably after eight or nine beers and some tequilas and was like, I got to go upstairs and order breakfast so I can sleep in and was like, I got to, I got a big, he's like, I'm just going to take it easy tonight because we get a game. 
And he went out there and I forget. Like I gotta remember, I gotta go back and look up some of this stuff because I don't want to get it wrong. The eight beers I can't look up. But I was I was impressed because nobody wanted to hang out. Like I was just lonely announcer guy sitting by himself. And I there this story I've told before, so I'm not gonna do it again. I gotta talk about two thousand ten. All right. So LeBron James, how does it go down? You want to be in play. I went back and started reading news articles from different publications about the pursuit of LeBron because there were people that really felt like the Nets had a great chance. So give me the lead up to like, okay, our season's over. We're at least at the table or we think we're at the table with LeBron. Give me like the game plan. I want to spend like a good 15 minutes on this. Well, I mean, to rewind a little bit, I think you have to go back to we, we've got um, we've got a new ownership group coming in with uh, Mikhail Prokhorov, right? We've got this Russian. Nobody knew who he was uh, at all. He was like that mystery man. Um, you know, we were coming off a 12 and 70 year, which was I mean, we could probably write a book on that itself. Um, and go, we're going into the lottery with the number one. You know, we got the number one pick going in. And, you know, we we get three. Uh, Washington gets one. They wind up taking John Wall. But, you know, about a, about a week before the lottery, Rod Thorne, you know, decides that, um, you know, he was not going to return. His contract was up June 30th. Um, so he was not returning, but he was going to conduct. We were going to do the draft and Rod was going to conduct free agency. But not be here when we do when not be here when whoever we pick or whoever players we we um we select in free agency was like he was going to basically just hand it off to the new GM, which is basically I guess somewhat similar in what Philadelphia is going through right now. Um, yeah, it's not you know, it's, they, as messed up as it is. It has happened where like the guy who's on his way out still calls the shots, which nobody can understand from the outside. But it, it's not. It's not like it's never happened in the league. Like, it happens every now and then, right? Yeah, it does. And I, I to this day, believe that um, if Rod had stayed, um, you know, would, had done a new contract, that Tibbs would have been the head coach and, and not Avery Johnson. Because I think Tibbs, and we had interviewed uh, Tom, you know, he was in Boston, that uh, Tibbs was really hesitant because he, who who he, he didn't know who the new GM was going to be. You know, and yeah. who that working relationship would be, but yeah. So we go th- we go through the draft. We uh, we have an internal debate. It is either between Derek Favors and Demarcus Cousins. Um, we wind up selecting Favors because we felt like Cousins' value, if we ever wanted to trade him, would not be there. Based on you know he was he, you know his off court stuff was fine, but he was a moody guy, and we felt like that Favors based on. Yeah, you don't have to spend Based on his upside, could you know, could get the most out of it. Um, and in a real quick story, we ran the, the night of the draft that year in 2010. We had the—I don't—I've never heard this happen before. But your war room numbers are usually kept private. We had a player, Wes Johnson, member from Syracuse, still in the yeah. league. We had him call in like 20 minutes before we were picking, not not, not begging, but like basically trying to give us a sales pitch on why we should pick him at three. <laughs> Which I had never heard of before, and he and he did, and but we wound up picking, um, we wound up picking Derek uh, at number and right, three. For, for everyone to remember, it's Wall Turner, it's Favors, and then it's Wesley, and then it was Cousins, right? Yeah, that's how. Uh, so that's how so it went. Wesley Johnson was that worried about going three that he called you guys to sell him? To he sell wanted you to go him? three. He wanted to go. He wanted to go to us at three. 
Um, I don't think he wanted to go to Minnesota, who wound up uh, who wound up picking a picking him. But he was trying to give us a sales pitch on why um, why we should pick him. He really <laughs> didn't want to go to Minnesota. I had never Minnesota. heard of before. Yeah, I mean that guy hated going to Minnesota. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> or that he's going Minnesota Sacramento back to back. So who knows? That's funny. Well, good for him. Yeah, didn't work. Yeah. Um, um, so we go. Through, okay. So we go through the draft, and, and I think just told the story before that rods and i love the guy his biggest thing was he always had the buyer's remorse you know so we go through the night of the draft you know usually the draft's over about midnight and we sit around and just talk for like an hour and you know you know rod's always like did did we did we did we draft the right guy (laughs) you know like and you get like rod we like there's nothing we can do about it you know we're gonna have to figure it out and and go through uh go through summer league and um but that happened every year. I mean, it wasn't just with, with Derek, but, you know, we did not know we were going to be in the, in the LeBron James chase until, Ryan, I'm telling you, probably June 28th, three days, three or four days before free agency. And I remember when we got the call, um, you know, when Rod got the call and brought us in and said, hey, we got a meeting. This is what we're going to have to do. It it was like somebody had just pulled the fire alarm, because it was like a mad scramble from, you know, trying to get your business people aboard. You know, I remember that's when like iPads were just coming out was like the hot thing, and you know we we loaded up these presentations for LeBron and Bosch and Wade, um, to try to sell him on. You know, he he can be the next um, billion dollar athlete with this ownership group. We can put him in, you know, he wouldn't just be known in the United States. He would be known, you know, all over the place and everything. And and I, we knew we didn't have a chance. I mean, we were, <laughs> we were going into North. Remember we were playing, that was our last year in, in the Meadowlands, but like, how do you sell a guy on two years of Nork, you know, and then Brooklyn in 2012, 13 is on his third year of his contract. But, you know, our ownership group wanted to go through it. We had Jay-Z on board. Um, we painted that – remember that billboard we paint, they put up right outside the garden? Um, what was the and, billboard again? Yeah, and that started that, – that's, that's how the meeting kind of um, – the meeting got set up. And a lot of it was because LeBron and Chris and Dwayne, they, ro- they just wanted to meet with the guy. They had, they had heard about him, but they, they wanted to get a sit-down and, and meet with the guy. And that's how, that's how the initial uh, you know, setup of the meeting started. So because Jay-Z owned, what, 1% that he rapped about so famously owning and then making a ton of money on when he sold it, um, can you confirm that? Did he, did Jay-Z make a killing on that? I, I think it might have been actually less than 1%. <laughs> I don't yeah, know but he still, he still might have turned... It wasn't much. Right, but the way the, the numbers inflated, although Jay-Z wasn't going to have a verse in there about him not doing something well, so we'll move on. But uh, So you're... Like, do you get the call from Leon at the time? Was Leon repping LeBron still then before they had they'd split off from CA? Yeah, and Leon um, was still with uh, with LeBron. Um, they so he calls Rod. With, well, yeah, that goes. That's a right to Rod. Okay, and then that is ownership on board. This is what we need to do. This is so what Prokhorov, our sales pitches. Like, what's Prokhorov saying? Well, he, nothing. I mean, it basically, you, you know, die. basically, how, where do we meet? You know, where do we go? Um, I mean, his he had uh, his deputy, you know, Dmitry Razumov, was kind of the point person, um, and he Dmitry's still there behind everything. And it was a lot of it was, I mean, I, from a, usually now these free agency meetings, you go and you sell your basketball product, but I mean, Ryan, we didn't have anything to sell. 
I yeah. mean, what are we what are we selling? The third pick in the draft, Derek Favors. Um, you know, we had Devin Harris, we had Terrence Williams, but it was this was really a business. It, I, I call it a business meeting um, between you know our ownership group, Jay Z, and LeBron on how to how to sell him, you know, the the future and be this big time entrepreneur. So who's in the room? So who's in the room? It's LeBron. It's Jay Z. It's Dimitri. Right, Rod. Uh, we had uh, uh, Prokhorov was in the room. Adrian Prokhorov was in, was in the, the room. room. Yeah, Brett Yormark was in the room. Um, I was in Jersey, and basically we we had so we had thirty four million dollars in cap space, which was a lot in two thousand ten. Yeah, the and cap I was I, I call I was in the like the control tower. Basically, we had deals lined up to you know either to move a Devin Harris to move a. Um, Chris Humphreys, who was still under contract on a one-year contract, we had we had some nice draft picks that we could have moved. That if we got LeBron, which was certainly a, an unlikely scenario, we could have said to him, "All right, who do you want to come with you? You know, do you want Bosch to come with you? Do you want Amari? Do you want Boozer? Do you want Rudy Gay?" Um, and we had all these deals lined up there. That um, after um, you know, after the meeting or whenever he gave the, the okay, that we would be able to pull off. But you know, it's funny, right? I went back and looked at some of these articles after we met, and like you know, you had somebody you know from our office like you know telling. I think someone from ESPN like, yeah, we had a great meeting. I think we were the front runners. Yeah, I read <laughs> that. Like back, <laughs> and I laugh. You know, it's funny. You know, back then you you probably thought you maybe were, but. Yeah, you also had seven other teams lined up on the on the. We were the first team to meet with him, um, you know, waiting on the um, you know, in, on the waiting deck to uh, to meet with him. Okay, so you don't think you have a chance going in, but you still, you guys are basically almost like creative thinking here, going, how do we sell him? What's our thing? So now you're saying we're going to sell him on being global because of Prokhorov. We're going to sell him on that. Once we're in Brooklyn, you're going to be a different level. You're going to be the billion dollar athlete. And you're telling me he and other dudes just wanted to meet Jay-Z. Yes. They wanted to meet Jay-Z and they wanted to meet with our owner because they really had nothing. They had not, they really, they had heard about him. Um, but they wanted to find out who this uh, who this mystery guy was, and you're right. I mean, the, the sell was, can you be the next David Beckham? You know that international, you know, uh, million billion dollar uh, athlete, and you know we can we can kind of get you there. Um, you know, if you come to well, flat Newark slash Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, you probably you had to have a two year stopover in Newark, though. Oh God, that's impossible now. Thinking back and be like LeBron, just all you have to do, LeBron, is hang out in Newark. So, um, did you know? Did the people in the room as it was happening? Did they trick themselves into thinking they had a chance, or do they know? No, no. I think I think they. The, I, I know we we left that meeting thinking that we had a chance because we, you know, that meeting was in Cleveland. Um, I think it was at the IMG building, and then we flew to Chicago to meet with the same day to meet with Wade and Bosch um, because they were st- they were both at the time were represented by Henry Thomas, and we met with uh, we met with Wade first, and then Bosch second, and I, I believe it was Wade. You know, one of them, I think Wade showed up late, and Bosch came in with a camera crew because he was filming a documentary. And when they when they told me that, I said we've this got league. no chance. <laughs> we've got no chance there. No wonder football guys hate the NBA. Um, <laughs> so are you willing? Like, do you think if Jay Z wasn't the owner, then none of you guys would have you wouldn't have met with any of them? 
I don't think we would have. I, I think the Jay Z factor had a lot to do with uh, had a lot to do with it. I mean, okay. I look at the, some of the teams that he met with. I mean, it, you know, besides Cleveland and you know Miami, you know, it was teams that were you know they were playoff teams that he could have you know gone to. Uh, I think Chicago when they were you know they were you know good you know yeah Chicago was there. Some people really thought Chicago was going to get him. If he was going to leave Cleveland, he would leave for Chicago. And then he doesn't, and then people go, oh, he doesn't want to follow in Jordan's footsteps and all that kind of stuff. And I never know. Like, look, here, did you get any read? Did any of those guys ever say, um, I'm, I'm going to go do this, but you know, we're all, we're all in this together. Like, did you ever get no. a feeling on that? No, never got it. Never got a read that these guys were, um, they were lining themselves up to go play in Miami. Um, because and, and during the process, you know, you're right. I mean, you look back on it, and there was a time that they thought that like LeBron and Wade were going to Chicago. Yeah, together. totally. Um, Bosch was going to go to New York, but then New yeah. York was saying like, "This is stuff I love retroactively." It's like, yeah, but is Bosch a one? It's like you know what he's better than a herd Amari Stoudemire. Yep. Uh when LeBron sat down in that kind of purple check shirt with Jim Gray and said, "I'm taking my talents to." Was there any part of you that thought he was going to say Newark? No, we already knew. At that point, we knew you were out. That we were out of the running like two days before that. Who tells um, you that? Leon. That comes from that comes from Jay Z. Uh, you know, the agent to Jay Z to us. Um, then we had moved on. What, what you know, what what hurt was that you know we had you know you have the, your three guys. Those are your guys, and then you know, the next tier of guys was Rudy Gay. Um, Stoudemire, who winds up going to New York. Boozer was in that mix. So, like, we thought that, you know, Rudy would have waited it out. But I think Rudy Gay, Rudy Gay made a commitment to Memphis, like, July 2nd. So that takes him off the board, right? Stoudemire goes off the board. Then you get into, like, this, like, panic mode. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, we've got $34, $35 million in cap space. What are you going to do with it? And so we go out and we try to get Boozer. And I remember we offered him five years, $70 million, which was a lot of money back, you know, eight years ago. And I had never met Carlos Boozer ever before. And we had gotten a call. Rod had gotten a call from Rob Palenka, who, you know, repped him. And Rob said, um, Carlos is interested in the offer, but he wants to meet with Bobby Marks in Orlando um, during summer league. And so Rod calls me in the office and says, I think we're good with Boozer, but he wants to meet with you. I go, Rod, I've never met, I've never even met Carlos Boozer before. I, why, why does he meet, want to meet with me? And he said, he's like, I don't know. He mentioned your name. I said, I said, all right, I'll, I'll get on a flight and I'll go to Orlando and I'll meet with Boozer and see if we can get this deal done. <laughs> and, but it kind of came out of, it kind of came out of nowhere. And about two hours later, um, Rob Polinka called and said, can you get it up to five for 80? And we said, Rob, we, this is where it is, you know, five for 70. And he wound up, you know, I think he went to Chicago for like five for 75. And that actually probably turned out to be a pretty good decision for us that that did not work out for us. But yeah. And then all the, you know, then all, you know, that was the last of, I think that was the last of the marquee guys to come off the board then. Is there anything else from that story that I need to know or that we need to know that's funny from the well, LeBron from thing? from the summer of 2010? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if it has something to do with LeBron, great. If not, no, doesn't matter. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's I think it's a lesson that 
you know, and I mean, it's probably a lesson for teams this year is like when you miss out on your key guys, you don't need to go out and spend all your money, <laughs> you know, because we wound up going out and getting Jordan Farmar, Anthony Morrow, Travis Outlaw, Johan Pecha. We had a we had an offer sheet for Tyrus Thomas for like six years, like uh, five years, like thirty eight million dollars that um, we wind up pulling off because Charlotte wind up signing him. Um but yeah, I mean, I think the, the the it was exciting for a couple of days for our ownership group because you get to sit down with them. But in in reality, we you know we di- we didn't have a we didn't have a realistic chance. Are you? Um, I saw some of the stuff you were talking about, and like I can only go by what I've heard, and that especially living out here in L.A. now, once the Kawhi news happened Friday, then it became Lakers fans going, okay, Kawhi, LeBron, but like, okay, but Paul George, who's going to take the last shot? How are we going to run our offense? And I was like, slow down, slow down. I still think, I don't think LeBron's going to stay in Cleveland with the same roster, but I, I haven't ruled it out. I haven't ruled it out if they can figure out a way to spin whatever they have into something else, which can seem super challenging, and I would you know admit is challenging. But I still think there's an East Coast or an Eastern Conference thing here that I feel like everybody's ignored since the Kawhi news came out. No, you're right. I mean, I think um, I do agree with you. If there's a way they can in Cleveland can turn some of these players into something, I, I think it's going to be hard for Kobe to do. Yeah. And I don't know if eight, number eight gets you. What is? I don't know if it can get you an All Star if you package some some of these players. It can only and, get you a guy that's telling you he's not resigning. Yeah, and, to, and I don't know. Like, and it, yeah, you're right. And it's hard for for Cleveland to go. In, you're going into the night of the draft, trying to do deals where you don't even know. If, you don't know if LeBron's commit committing, and he's not going to tell you one way or another that that night. Um, and it, that's that's a hard that's a hard way to the hard way to go. And you know, if it's Cleveland, you know, it, it, the interesting thing, Ryan, is is June 29th with LeBron because you know if he opts out. We can we can start eliminating a bunch of teams here. I think. I mean, I think we can start eliminating. We you know maybe we can probably eliminate Houston. Houston, how's Houston trying to get a get... sign and trade there, right? And stay under the hard cap and keep Capella and Chris Paul is. I don't know how Daryl will be able to pull that off. I mean, that's that will be. He's going to trade Anderson first, and that hasn't been. I mean, I've talked to teams that are just like, I don't know, man. Like, good luck with that one. Yeah, I mean the Anderson contract I think would cost you two seconds, um, you know, based on. I mean Jamal Crawford last year went for one second, and he had you know fifteen or sixteen million dollars left on his contract. So I think yeah, and they wanted kind of the, Yeah, and that's kind of the right. That's the baseline there, and I I just don't. I mean if it's if it's not Cleveland, then I think it's you. You probably turn your focus to Philadelphia and and, and Los Angeles. Yeah, that's my thing, is that I just feel like the way LeBron has been talked about, and I did this at the top, is that people have already assumed he's packed and and called the moving trucks. I don't care how many houses he has out in L.A. I have a house in Connecticut still. Does that mean I want to go back? No. So, you know, um, maybe that analogy wasn't perfect for me and a the best player in the world, but uh, I don't, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm getting so sick of just people being like, oh, no, it's done, it's done, it's done. It's already done. I'm like, it isn't. It isn't. And you're gonna believe? No, you're right. I mean, right, like, I think he. I don't. Even, I mean, the, I mean, we don't even know when he's going. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start meeting with teams like in like, like the like the second week of July, and yeah, really opting slow out, play this. The opting in thing will be really funny because if he opts in, 
Well, if people will freak out and say he's not leaving, and then I'll be the guy that says, hey, don't rule him out staying, saying, well, that doesn't really mean that much. Although when I opted out of Miami, I thought that was a really bad sign for the Heat because it was a year earlier than everybody thought it was going to be. Everybody thought that he'd stay in for one more year, take a run at it, but he was so sick of that run and felt like, again, kind of similar but with bigger names, he felt like he was doing it on his own. I don't think he was super happy with Wade uh, at the time, even though they're great friends, I think there was some frustration there that Wade was kind of just playing when he wanted to, and it was up to LeBron to carry them through the regular season. So when he opted out there, I thought it was a really bad sign for the Heat, and then ultimately he left. If he opts out here, I don't really know what it's going to mean, but I also think, Bobby, it's finally happening where I'm starting to hear, because I was always wondering, like, when is LeBron going to go for that full max, knowing that, okay, if he turns 33 into 34... Like he, he probably wants somebody to pay that fifth year full max when he, I don't want to say doesn't deserve it because he's superhuman, but at some point he's going to move off the year to year thing for his control to try to lock in a longer contract for more money at the end of it than maybe he would get if he waits two more years. Well, you're right. And you know, you, if you, if he opts out and tries to do a signing trade, you know, take away the hard cap restrictions, you know, you get, when you do a signing trade, it's got to be for a minimum of three years. So it's not like he can he can do a a one and one and do a signing trade. So there's a there's a restriction there, and I think it's fascinating, Ryan, if, if he opts in because I think it just opens up the field. But then Cleveland has you know basically Cleveland can dictate you know based on um, you know if if what type of package if that's what he wants if he wants to get moved. But I think I think the only way he opts in is if he has a, either he's staying in Cleveland. Um, or if he is, you know, he has a team in mind and he does you know, opting in thing. And, and traded, you know, you right. can, you know, then he can sign a, you know, six months after you can sign an extension for, you know, four years, a hundred and, you know, $160 million, which would be, be almost the same money. It's similar to the same money that he, you know, signed with Cleveland for five years. So basically what we're saying is opt in, force to trade Chris Paul style. What you have to do ahead of time. And this is all where the agent and the power comes in as you go, look, man, I'm leaving. But I'm going to do you a solid here, and you can get some sort of piece back for me. But I'm going to opt in, and that way I can sign an extension where I'm basically signing a max anyway. But I'm waiting six months. Yep, that's okay. the way. That's the way to to, to go about it. Um, yeah, that's you know how Chris happen. did it. Almost, you know, it's almost a year ago to to the date is that you know say I, I this is the team I want to go. I want to go play in Houston. But the hard part is is if you're Dan Gilbert, you know what do you? I don't know if you want that Ryan Anderson contract. So you got to find a third team there. Yeah, but you'd probably take. Well, I wouldn't even trade Brandon Ingram level if if he's if LeBron's dictating the terms and only t- telling me you know there's the one team you're not even getting Brandon Ingram for me you know you can get, and then then the Lakers can absorb it too. That's the beauty of their cap space situation. Yeah, um, you're right. You know, like that's why I always kind of laughed about the Kawhi stuff because. I'm like, well, if I'm trading you Kawhi, I'm definitely not taking back Luol Deng for an extra young player. Like, I'm just, I'm just not, even if I can stretch it for the five. What do you think happens with the Kawhi thing? Because I think Woj, for whatever reason, I thought Woj's information late, late Friday night, I think it was back like past midnight on the East Coast with Van Pelt, where he was saying, like, until Pop and Kawhi meet and until the Supermax is offered and then decline, like it felt like Woj was hinting at this still being somewhat salvageable, which is definitely not what anybody thinks here in Los Angeles. Because they, you know, I I think within the next week you will probably see um, some type of resolution where they're going to sit down. Um, you know, San Antonio, if it's Pop, 
more if it's with RC and, and Kawhi and and figure out where this is going and if this, this relationship can be fixed. I think it's gonna be hard to try to fix. I think there's so much I think there's so much distrust with um with Kawhi and, and really aimed at, you know, I guess the medical staff based on uh his injury that that's gonna be the goal to try to fix it and uh and I think what they probably want to hear from him is that for him to tell them directly that he does not want to be there and that he will not resign with them. And then that, that kind of gets the, that gets the wheels in motion. Hey man, enjoy the draft. I'll be back uh, on the East coast and I always appreciate your help, man. You do an awesome job, Bobby. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. Bobby Marks, front office insider. Uh, he's usually out there with Woj sometimes, but um, his stuff is really good. He's a good storyteller. And so I hope you guys, enjoyed that but it's really what it comes down to eight years ago the nets thought they had a chance because jay-z's awesome and they didn't i want to talk to you about something and then we'll do a little life uh, update stuff talk with saruti but i do have to bounce here probably in 10 minutes which means i'll go for 20 because i gotta get my car out of a lot which is just the big game we play out here here's the deal everyone has tasks big and small i had a million tasks today we'll talk about it later that prevent them from being the best versions of themselves. I haven't eaten yet. I only had a smoothie, so I could have used this. Finn is a high-quality, on-demand assistant that can handle the administrative aspects of life, declutter your to-do list, and keep you focused on what matters most. Thousands of busy people already rely on Finn to handle tasks like scheduling meetings, booking travel, buying gifts, or even more complex jobs like creating a website or hiring a freelancer. This is a free Almost free assistant, guys. Finn takes care of administrative tasks so you can be more productive. Finn lets you be a superhuman. So basically what we're talking about here is you don't have to get dental for Finn. You don't have to get um, full medical. You don't have to worry about Cobra. You don't have to worry about vacation days. Finn sets it up for you. There's just not enough hours in the day to do everything to get everything done. Um, look, my options for me, keep trying to do everything how I've been doing it. I, I forget stuff constantly. So I don't really want to hire an assistant because everybody's going to think we're dating. So I've been looking into a hiring assistant anyway, but that's when I discovered Finn. Finn is the perfect personal assistant. I never realized that I needed available 24 seven, 365 days a year. I started using it a few times a week. Then once I saw how much time I was saving, it was a no brainer to use it even more. And with Finn handling the tasks I dislike anyway, I'm getting back to a ton of time to focus on the things that matter. Using Finn has been a real game changer for me. Here's the deal. Finn can take care of all the aspects of planning a trip, flights, dinner, reservations, a hotel within minutes of where you want to be for meetings, for visiting friends, relatives, etc. You don't have to lift a finger to have an amazing trip. Finn mixes the best of human and artificial intelligence to deliver a top flight service to manage your calendar, book appointments, take care of travel plans, pay bills, research and buy products, everything a great assistant can do. Finn learns and remembers your preferences like that you prefer aisle seats, knows your default meeting lengths and your favorite restaurants. So if you're back in the area, it pops up on my thing, my app will be like, hey, Finn, okay, yeah, you love tacos, Rosillo. Yes, I do, Finn. Thank you. You don't need to spend your time recruiting, training, or managing an assistant. Finn can do it all. On average, Finn can save you 200 hours a year. If you're someone who doesn't have 40 hours of work for an assistant every week, here's the best part. With Finn, you only pay for what you use. And here's the deal. 
The commitment's been waived. That's what we're doing for listeners. No commitment, no commitment. You should love this. You're still single right now, thinking about hiring an assistant? Don't worry about that. This is no commitment with Finn. Once you try Finn, you're going to love it as much as I do. And as a listener of my show, I've arranged for all of you to try Finn for free. Just use my link, finn.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. It's finn.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Try Finn for free, finn.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Part two, closing it out here with Saruti. So should we just, are we going to leave all the almost motorcycle part with Billis in there and then just leave uh, yeah. that live? Okay, all right. So I, I kind of love it. Let me just finish that. Yeah, we want to give it to you raw. We're breaking it down fourth wall style. Not DMX, Rob. You know what I'm saying. Okay, so um, you motorcycle guys, I don't know I don't know what to do with you because all you do is complain, and I see your posts on videos, and I like to watch them until they're like really gruesome and nasty, and I can't really watch them. But all these bikes versus cops things, the cops are always out to get us, and you know they're always messing with bikers. Most of the time, from my assessment, you guys are doing screwed up stuff. I'm not talking about everybody on a motorcycle, but when you're going 105 on my right side and cutting across two different lanes, and then a cop in the next town like gives you a hard time because somebody called you in, like who is that on? So every biker that has these like cops mess with his videos, I'm always thinking like, yeah, but a lot of times it looks like you're doing stupid stuff. So like, what is it? So now that I'm out here, bikers going all over the place, I don't want them to get hurt. And yes, nobody really sees them and they lose every single collision and it sucks. And like I said at the beginning of part one and the other story, I have sympathy for bikers because people don't pay attention on the, on the road. You know what I mean? Like that's a bummer. And my buddy that got smashed up bad trying to do a cross-country trip in his early 20s, you know, crashes his motorcycle, ends up in a cast, can't go on his trip. He made it from Martha's Vineyard to D.C. That's not going cross-country, dude. That's like a day. So I I am sympathetic to what you guys deal with as bikers, but there's this other group that is out there that thinks everyone's out to get him. When now that I've seen way more motorcycles on the highway being out in Los Angeles – I would say eight of the ten motorcycles that I see driving around me are doing something incredibly stupid. So, there you go. I don't really know whose side to take on that one. Yeah, I feel like you know it, it's always like, why do they think they could pass like in the smallest areas? Like because it's kind of understood that you can, but it, but but that's I don't know. Like it, that's obviously one dangerous and a lot of, and like yeah, it, just, I know. it doesn't seem like that should be why, like why are there different rules for them? Like why do they well, get the, the bottom is, pass on the right? Like a lot of cops ride bikes, and I the only time I ever uh, rode any bikes, I used to do dirt bikes. Um, teenager, when I first moved to Martha's Vineyard, these guys all had dirt bikes, and then I was going to get a dirt bike, and then I this guy I was going to buy a used one. My father was going to hook it up, and I had to like work a certain number of hours, and then I got on it and I test drove it in front of my father. It was the worst like uh, move ever, where he was like, "Yeah, we're going to get that bike. We're going to figure it out. Okay, cool," and then. I go get on it and I was like apprehensive because it was a CR. It was a little big for me and a little too powerful. And he's like, nope, I don't like the way you're driving that. You look apprehensive and said, screw it. And didn't buy me the dirt bike. So I was like, ugh. like talk about being a kid where you're like, ah, oh, that's the worst. Um, so I used to love dirt bikes and all that stuff, but you always did crash. Like you always did mess yourself up. And usually yeah. it was something that you were doing the stupid. A lot of cops drive bikes. So I think from my understanding, cop buddies is that they let everybody pass in traffic because it's just sort of understood that it's something you can do and if i were on a bike i'd probably want to do it too but at the same time like i don't know that i can be mad at somebody changing lanes not constantly expecting a bike to be coming by like yes i should check my mirrors yes i should check every but like if i'm crossing lanes and in barely moving traffic and you're flying 
down the dotted line part of it, like I don't feel like that's a hundred percent on the guy in the car. And yeah, the that's going to be on the biker for sure, right? And but like, I'm just telling you right now, a biker's going to be listening to me like that's BS. Like you guys going to use your mirrors? You, know, you use it for cars when you're changing lanes. Why can't you use it for a bike? And you're like, yeah, but I'm not expecting a car to be flying down in between the two cars. So yeah, that's something I've noticed in LA. And yeah, if I go through the Instagram videos and watch all that stuff, I'm like, a lot of times you guys deserve to be messed with by cops. Like almost every video I see, I go, what? Wait a minute, what are you? What are you mad about here? The cop was doing his job. So anyway, um, in the house, excited about that part. Uh, drapes are expensive. The guy dropped me a quote, 14, almost 15 grand for drapes and all the windows. Whoa. Yeah, I went, you got to be kidding me. And then he dropped it to 11 grand immediately. And I went, who says yes to the first time? And he looked at my house in the neighborhood. He went, eh. Yeah. Yeah. Have you- <laughs> Savvy Rousseau out here just <laughs> catching the guy in his trap. Yeah, he goes, I don't care either way. He goes, I, I make money on closing deals. I don't make commission. And I'm like, well, if you don't care either way, why don't we sharpen that pencil a little bit more? 11 um, grand is still, like, how many windows are we talking? Well, I have two four-door balcony window deals. I can't sleep in my master right now because you just would see in it. It would just be me asleep and you'd be able to look at me. Like from the road or from Yeah, like a, from the sidewalk wow. and road and from the houses on the other side. Just tours of, it's kind of like at ESPN, like when we would do the when tours would come by and there's just like windows next to the studio and everyone's just staring at you. Except you'd have exactly. windows. Exactly. Except I'd be asleep. So um I can't stay there. I'm staring at my guest room, which has security light just blaring through. So I haven't slept... I haven't slept great the last couple of nights, but I'm just happy that I have my little place and I'm, I'm very excited about it. But the grown up expenses, we had direct TV over there today. Um, of course I ordered the wrong internet because when I showed up, the internet cable guy was like, ah, this isn't the good service for out here. You got to get this one. So I canceled the first one, ordered the second one. And then the 710 ESPN crew, um, I want to get this right. Give them a little shout. Um, because they were so, so helpful. Um, I've never done like a full R, uh, AV deal. Does that make any sense? What do you, uh, you did, you got speakers and stuff? What are you talking about? Well, the house is already wired with all that stuff, but like if you ever go to some of these, and some people are listening to this being like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And other people have been like, you guys are late on this, bro. Um, the point would be like a total audio video team, like AV company. They come in, they hook up everything, they drill everything through the walls, everything's hooked up to one remote, and there's speakers in my ceiling and speakers in my master bedroom. You know what I'm saying? So, like, everything is done. And so these guys came by, and it's uh, MIR audio video. Apparently, they do all the Lakers installs. So I'm sure that'll be nice. I'm sure that'll be cheap. She got, like, a massive video board, too, like, in in your living room. I'm doing two TVs in the living room. I don't care if that's not adult enough, and it aesthetically it throws everything is off. Is there a over. basement situation? No, there's no. It, the oh, house wow. is two floors, Okay, and there's almost no storage whatsoever. Um, so late-night NBA viewing will be in the living room now. I have one place to sit, which is fine. Um, I used to really – I got really spoiled with the Connecticut, Connecticut place because I had like three different hangout options. So if I got bored with myself – and when you're by yourself a lot, you can get really bored of yourself. So you'd be like, all right, I'm going to sit somewhere differently. Um, or maybe I'll just go outside a little bit more because I'm, I'm right there. So that's, or just, um, or that's, go out. Don't be at home as much. You know? Yeah. I can go out. I can go out more. Did go out. I haven't gone out a lot because this draft thing, I've barely gone out actually since I've been in LA at all. Um, 
and I, I went out to meet a couple buddies and I, I swear to God, it was so young that I just looked at the guys and I was like, I know you guys have bottle service and everything. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this right now. You just I was like, I get over it or, or you feel weird. I felt it was one of the, I mean, I should have felt weird for a while. Like I went on, um, PMT with Big Cat and those and PFT and, uh, they did a Mount, I made Mount Rushmore. So that was, that was a huge honor. Nice. Top 40. Nice. Good for you. They did a Mount Rushmore of middle, uh, midlife crisis things. I was like, why did you have it on with me? So they basically made fun of me for a good chunk of the whole thing. But, um, I went into this whole theory about how, like, when I knew it, I know it's over now, but I, it was, it's been over for a bunch of years and I didn't really realize it. I kind of knew it was, but I didn't want to admit it. And now I've just accepted that it's a little bit over. So the, the guys that I, I really liked, that I was going to meet up with, but I had to do all draft stuff anyway. Rudy, so I couldn't really do much, you know, like I wasn't going to have a big night and then not be able to get my work done. And I had to get as much work as I possibly could get done every night that I was put up in a hotel because now at my house house, I don't have internet. So I've just been on the phone a lot. It's just funny that when I finally got the keys to my house, I got it in the busiest week of my entire year. Um, but I'm going to bounce out of here for a little while. Come back to the East coast. And we'll, uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah. We got a, a draft recap pod Friday. Yeah, special draft recap pod. So we're giving you three pods this week. We didn't even plan on, you know what? Monday rolled around, things weren't going to happen. And then that's how life works, man. Just like American movie, where the main character with the long hair that's kind of weird because he's a huge Packers fan, so he's not really a hippie, but he's like super into horror guy. It's one of the best documentaries ever made, and he was sort of bummed out. And then he gets a pre-approved credit card, I think, for 500 bucks in the mail, pre-approved credit card. And he opens it up, and he swears, and he's so pumped. And he goes, man, life has a crazy way of working out that way. You're down in the dumps. You're not feeling great. And then, boom, pre-approved credit card. When they used to send those to people all the time already pre-approved didn't have to there you go done spend away well you got three pods this week number three will be on friday enjoy the draft the trey young thing in atlanta is real the polar things all over the place he's getting failed by teams medically but then i'll hear sacramento loves him i hear cuban loves him more than the front office in dallas uh porter loves him some porter too yeah that's fine which is cool i'm I'm not i'm not you know knocking him he just he he thinks he's gonna be really good and like he's not afraid to tell you how good he thinks he's gonna be well, when he's right, you see a 6'11 perimeter player and none of the stuff. The Missouri tape is awful. I watched it again this week and I'm not even going to use that in any evaluation with him. Um, it's all about high school stuff. Apparently his mom scored 59 points a game in high school, which is a lot. Uh, and I, I've heard two teams are the most aggressive. I'll tweet this out tonight in, um, or tomorrow with the, with the podcast thing, but the two teams that are most aggressive about moving up are the Clippers. And the Celtics. And the Celtics stuff is either moving up for Doncic or Bamba. So there's some little draft tidbits there at the end where if we get them right, we'll say we had it here first. Or if we get it wrong, it'll just disappear. That's what happens. 